All right. Hello and welcome to Realcom's first webinar in this series. It's titled Net Zero Carbon Detection, Collection and Reporting. I'm Chuck Neiswanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom host for today's webinar, Carbon Accounting's Impact on the Commercial Real Estate Industry. Today's discussion centers on the what and the why. What net zero carbon management is, what your company should be doing about it, why it's important and why you should care. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to all of our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box on the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. It's always better when you're an active participant. We love hearing from you. We love your input uh, and we'd love your questions. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists. You'll see the slides there uh, and maybe even a few extra surprises uh, as you download that. Uh, we've uh, designed today for uh, a lot more discussion, but there still are a few slides, so you may, uh, you may be able to see those along the way. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. You can start your research by listening to this outstanding panel of experts rather than stream that online. I guarantee you won't regret tuning in. Note-taking is highly encouraged on this webinar. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is to disconnect and then reconnect to the webinar again. But also don't worry, you won't miss anything because you'll receive a link to the webinar recording later today. And we've included my email in case you think of questions for our panel, but you're watching this as a recording and all of the panelists have gone home. Just send them to me and I'll forward them along. This educational webinar is sponsored by our uh, outstanding webinar participants, our partner vendors. Carrier Abound is a suite of connected solutions and a cloud-based digital platform that enables real-time intelligent outcome-based results that make buildings more efficient while providing occupants with confidence in the health and safety of their indoor environments. Let's take a quick video of what more about Carrier Abound. The building is evolving. Environments will no longer be defined by the features and technologies that go into them, but by what you get out of them. The human benefits of spaces that are optimized for health, safety, and productivity. The positive impact of reduced energy consumption and more sustainable, restorative environments. The assurance that safety and security risks are predictable and dynamically managed. The capabilities that come with having disparate data, devices, and equipment function cooperatively and communicate effectively within a building and across multiple buildings and the possibilities born out of living ecosystems that learn over time, self-heal, adjust their own settings, and personalize experiences. This is the future of buildings. Starts with a bound. All right, and Retransform is a professional services firm focused on helping real estate companies make smarter, more profitable decisions. They are recognized as a world leader in digital collaboration. Take a look at this video. Secure. 
a digital twin platform for the built environment, which captures and displays sensory data from IoT devices, providing real-time insights into spaces. Secure allows for detailed information to be displayed comprehensively by offering map views of all linked devices and sensors, as well as graphs, heat maps, and even custom alerts and notifications. It monitors air quality, occupancy rates, water leaks, waste management, carbon emissions and overall energy consumption, keeping any space in an optimal condition and supporting ESG requirements. All right, good. And now uh, finally Drone Up uh, has a mission to make drone services good for everyone, to be the most open and flexible flight services partner in the industry, an integrated platform that makes drones the most simple, efficient way for businesses to reach their community. Check this out, it's very cool. All right, and thank you to all of our, our sponsors for this webinar. We are grateful for the contributions of these technology partners to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. If you're ready to start your ESG net zero carbon management journey and take, the, and take flight with the latest in drone technology, be sure to include these trusted partners in your vendor evaluation process. And just a quick comment about our Realcom webinar as we bring these to you. Our goal is to discuss, debate, explore the landscape of innovative solutions, business challenges, and even uncertainty in a manner that is relatable and easy to understand and provide our end user community, you, our Realcom followers, with relevant information that can be integrated into your own business objectives. Our moderator for today is Maureen Ehrenberg. She's co-founder and CEO of Blue Sky, Blue Sky IBE, a Collier strategic partner. She's held executive roles with WeWork, JLL, CBRE, Grubb and Ellis, and she's a great person besides all that, and I, someone I would consider a friend. Welcome, Maureen. Thank you, Chuck. I'm very excited about today's webinar. It's gonna go fast, I think. But before we get started, let's get a real quick uh, feel of our audience. Uh, so for our audience poll, we're gonna give you this opportunity to give us an idea of what's your position? What best describes what you do in your company? And I think Maureen, this helps us adjust our conversation a little bit based on audience makeup. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this will really help um, you know through the conversation also with just understanding our audience here. Granted, I know we will have other observers that are not signed in right now live, but it will help us gauge our comments. Excellent, all right. So hopefully you were able to find one of those you could identify with. We've got one more poll that we wanna uh, 
get a, a measure of maturity. I think this was, was interesting too, Maureen, because I, I think we're going to see, I'll be surprised if we don't have something in every one of these categories, because I think some people are really starting to figure things out and it's just getting started. Yes, um, in, in every every one of these categories. So what you know, what our team is seeing, and I know um, in speaking with all the panelists, uh, it is absolutely um, <laughs> clear that people, so many people have not even started yet. Um, they're not sure what it means. Uh, they are beginning to put some strategy together. They but they haven't done a materiality, and they don't know what the impact could be to them. And so they're learning and they're researching. I think that's why this panel today. Would it will be very helpful regardless of what box you tick um, on that. Well, and I and we have I I'm looking at the attendees. It looks like we're over 80 at the moment, so we should have a good mix. Ian, let's see what the the mix is for attendees here. So I I think uh, a, a pretty good mix across the board, especially on the ESG and the executive level. I think that looks that looks um, uh, interesting. Probably not too surprising about HR marketing being low on this one. What do you think? Hmm. I, you know, I think over time we're going to see far more people in that group, given the fact that all of this is integrated. But again, it is uh, first it's setting the, you know, setting the fundamentals, starting the program, and then bringing other stakeholders into it as you begin to truly operationalize across the organization. I also um, was encouraged to see the amount of advisors um, that are also attending. Uh, yeah, just, that, that's always awesome. real good too. And, and so let's take a quick look now at uh, where the maturity level is. So uh, I, I, not surprising that we have double digit entries in all the categories. Um, I, the, interesting that the highest category is is Excel and other software. Are you surprised at all? Oh, no. No, this is really perfect and spot on what we'd expect. So um, even just beginning and just in the evaluation mode so they kind of have an idea i think for the live audience you're in the right spot uh th this is where you need to be i would also from this and i'd also encourage you well I'll, I'll give you the plug at the end as well because this same group is going to be at realcom if you want to talk to people live about this by all means please register for that so maureen i'm going to get out of your way i appreciate it and uh we'll see you at the end okay great thanks chuck thank you well, thanks for joining us today. I'm just going to make a few comments about our speakers and our panel. Um, this is probably one of the most relevant topics to be discussing at this time. Um, we are at the intersection of um, really looking at how the current building operations and all of the pieces that go with it. So whether you own, you operate, you maintain, you occupy, you consume the real estate. Um, you're experiencing it, you're commuting, all of those components actually become part of this greater structure. So when we look at the topic of carbon accounting and looking at the idea of detection and collection, reporting net zero carbon, um, it is a broad topic, it is a complex topic, and yet our role is to simplify it. And in my mind, the easiest way to simplify something is to look at the, the various systems and process flows and so um, I think it's very helpful to take a step back and look at uh, each building when you think about the building itself and then the property that's surrounding it, whether, you know, the parking, the amenities, uh, then you start thinking about the green spaces and then you roll that up to say, you know, what are my amenities? Ultimately, what's my portfolio? And whether you're local, regional, national, international, um, 
there are several different components, whether it be um, the location of those properties, uh, the seasons that it experiences, the weather patterns, uh, seismic activity. There are several different layers to looking at this and then understanding the business that's in there and the human element of that. So, you know, I kind of look at it as three major things that we're going to be speaking about and that we're really concerned about when we talk about the carbon accounting, and it is emissions reduction, waste reduction, and then ultimately green energy production and energy use reduction. And so taking the process that we talked about, looking at it, and then just starting with the big picture of your operating model, organizationally, the service delivery model, considering your short-term needs, and then taking a long-term view and a perspective on ESG. You'll come down to creating a blueprint, a blueprint for your organization that you're looking at your workflow process and your process flows within this entire ecosystem that we were just describing. So when you start looking at the people, process, and tools, and you understand your business needs and the human factors, you can create you know, basically a SWOT, looking at the gaps and creating this new blueprint. I think the biggest challenge today that we all are facing is that while the economy is changing, I heard someone uh, talking about this topic a few weeks ago, and they were talking about just topics to discuss in the industry and commercial real estate. And they suggested that they were gonna uh, bring up the topic and write a whole article that the topic of ESG carbon emissions reduction is passe. And I think that just comes from people being exhausted uh, on the topic and being inundated with different perspectives and facts. And ultimately, uh, they think it's just a change thing. You go from here to here. And the problem is, is that that's actually not the way we need to be looking at this. If we look at the goals for 2050, 2030, regulatory changes that continue to change in this topic that continues to evolve, um, change management is very important in this process. We're going to talk about it. But it, this is something that doesn't stop. Um, this is something that continues to evolve. And so it's a very big long run transformation. And I know sometimes the word transformation is overused, but what we're gonna be talking about today is full on transformation that in includes that blueprint I talked about when you're looking at your mapping of your people processes, that whole interconnected ecosystem, and then understanding how over time, your entire organization, including the engagement of, for example, HR that we just saw in the poll, and some of the other user groups are actually part of understanding all of the workflows that the organization undertakes and then creating this new operating model and having it part of its top of mind. Because at the end of the day, it's an environmental issue. It is a reporting issue. It has to be clear. It has to be accurate. We are going to talk a little bit about science-based targets. So it's an exciting, very exciting topic. And with that, I am going to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker, and Anne, hopefully you're going to join me in a minute, is uh, Anne Spulber. And Anne is the products manager uh, and of technology for Transform. Anne has over 14 years experience in technology in the built environment. She has worked for companies such as Hilton, where her responsibilities included innovation with real estate, real estate development, and sustainability. She has also successfully co-founded two prop tech startups. Anne. Um, thanks for joining, and I thought maybe you'll share your comments now, and uh, we'll be joining you back on the panel later, but um, welcome. Hi, hi, everyone. Thank you for the for the kind introduction, um, and um, um, 
this is really an exciting topic uh, for for all of us. Um, uh, today, I was I was thinking to take a few steps back and maybe uh, make a slight introduction into scope one, two, and three, uh, just to be sure that everyone is familiar with these frameworks. Um, so we already know that human-induced climate change is um, affecting many extremes uh, in climate and weather, um, and it has effects uh, on every region across the globe. Um, we've seen massive heat waves, flooding, and real estate is contributing to climate change for CO2 emission, and it accounts for nearly 43% to 40% of the total uh, global CO2 emissions. From a physical science perspective, limiting human-induced global uh, warming to a specific level requires limiting cumulative CO2 emissions, reaching at least net zero CO2 emissions, along with strong reductions in other greenhouse gas emissions. And, and this takes us to um, the scope one, two, and three um, in uh, real estate. Uh, so these scopes are the basis for mandatory greenhouse gas reporting. The first time this uh, term appeared was in greenhouse gas protocol in 2001. Essentially, scope one and two are those emissions that are owned or controlled by a company, whereas scope three emissions are consequence of the activities of the companies, uh, but occur from sources that are not owned or controlled by the company. So scope one emissions, um, covers uh, emissions that the company makes directly. Um, for example, this emission could come uh, from running the boilers. Um, scope two em emissions, these are the emissions that the company makes indirectly. So for example, if it procures electricity and energy, another company is producing that energy on their behalf. And scope three uh, emissions, which is also the, the trickier part, are all the emissions that are associated with all the activities undertaken um, by, uh, by the company. So up and down its value chain, for example, from buying products uh, from its suppliers, from its uh, products when customers use them. Um, Emission-wise, scope free is nearly always the biggest one. Um, some things to know would be that uh, scope one and two are within company's control. So company will normally have the source data needed to convert direct purchases of gas or electricity into a value in tons of uh, greenhouse uh, gas emissions. Uh, this information may sit with procurement, finance, or estate management, or sustainability function within the company. Uh, there are solutions to deliver net zero. So for example, an, an organization can source uh, renewable um, electricity or renewable gas or electrify its uh, heat demand or transition to electrical vehicles. Um, for many businesses, scope-free emissions account for more than 70% of their carbon footprint. Uh, for example, an organization that manufacture products, uh, there will often be significant carbon emissions from extraction, manufacture, or pro processing of the material required for those products. Um, there is less control uh, in addressing the emissions of scope-free by companies. Um, you can collaborate on solutions to reduce emissions with current suppliers or consider um, uh, changes to your supply chain. Um, however, in most areas, suppliers will have considerable influence on how emissions are reduced through their own purchasing decision or product design. Um, committing to reach net zero will involve tackling your scope-free emissions too. Um, definitions for what constitutes net zero ambition can be slippery, but businesses looking to adopt best practices will commit to tackling scope-free emissions too. 
as part of their plan and mapping your emissions footprint by scale and how much control you have over the source will be a good way to start addressing them. Um, so I, I guess that was my, my, my short uh, introduction on scope one, two and three emissions. Um, I thought that could be a very good background to, to start our conversation about how we can, um, you know, report our um, uh, accounting uh, CO2 data and what we what what could be the best practices to, to report that uh, data. Thanks, Anne. And do you have like an image or something that you could share, um, just showing kind of like how you know you would map those scopes or? Uh, um, I could share some handouts for the for the audience. Um, I will send it to you separately. Um, and okay, great. Okay, thank you. Great job. Okay, I'm going to introduce our next panelist. Um, our next uh, panelist is Karen Jalen. Karen is the VP of Sustainability Energy Smart Technology at Cadillac Fairview. Um, Karen is Cadillac Fairview's Vice President of Sustainability Energy Smart Technology. She's responsible for the company's award-winning approach to sustainability, climate, and energy management, as well as its smart building technology strategy and execution. Karen's an industry-leading pioneer in establishing green building standards. She sits on many of the guiding committees that set the sustainability standards, which is the global real estate industry adheres to it. So Karen, thank you. We are very um, happy to have you with us. And I think your comments will um, complement well what Anne just shared, putting the context of the frameworks. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. And it's a real pleasure to be here today. Today, I'm going to briefly discuss with you how carbon accounting is impacting commercial real estate and how we're using it to drive real results. There we go. All right. I don't think we have to look very far to understand that today climate change is impacting us globally. From droughts to floods, the severity of climate risk is very apparent. And as a result, global leaders have been calling for urgent action, including many of commercial real estate's key stakeholders, from government to institutional investors to our industry peers, who are also our competitors and co-owners often, as well as tenants. Many are standing up today and making their commitments to both interim targets as well as long term. And as you can imagine, as they make their commitments, they're often knocking on our door to really support their strategy. All these stakeholders, in order to understand their, chart, their approach to net zero, need to understand how the data from the real estate um, portfolio that the other invest in or operate impacts their journey. And so over the past few years, we've seen a significant increase in demand and requests for reporting um, and data share. To give you just a few select examples, we've seen a drastic increase in regulatory requirements to disclose our data for energy, water, carbon in certain markets, as well as we're beginning to see potential um, net zero, uh, sorry, emission target um, caps that will have monetary fines if we do not achieve them in the short term. We have tenants now knocking on our door to help them meet their regulatory requirements, such as a lot of questions coming around EU taxonomy. And we have an exponential increase in both tenants, co-owners, and our owner asking us for more utility data, 
really to support their understanding of their current carbon footprint and support all of their disclosure requirements. The list goes on, but what's really clear is that the need to have complete, credible, accurate data is that much more important as we as a global community work together to achieve these targets. Now, um, we, do, we are experienced, even as a privately held company, stakeholders like our board saying this data has to be accurate and requiring even more and more levels of credibility and assurance of this information. But it's not just about you know, writing these reports and leaving them aside and sharing data, it's about taking this information and driving real impactful change that will support our business in terms of mitigating risk, competitive advantage, and hopefully reducing operational costs. If you look at this slide here, this is just a very straightforward example of how one can um, plan for a net zero journey. What you can see here is that data is critical for this plan. It is very important that a company understands their at least scope one and two emissions, as Anne spoke to just briefly before, as well as hopefully some kind of projection out into how the portfolio will grow over time, including developments and investments. From there, with that information, it can be very helpful to build long-term decarbonization plans per asset that really allows you to understand what actions you can take in the near term and then longer term to achieve these targets. This, with an understanding of how the grid is changing and other variables, will support a full plan. And unfortunately, or fortunately, there will need to probably be, for most portfolios, a need to do some kind of offsetting or emission reduction um, strategy near the end. Now, I have a beautifully straight line going down. That's not reality. There are so many factors that change this math over time, including grid emission factors changing. Unfortunately, I live in a, in a location, Ontario, where our grid emission factors are actually getting dirtier in the next couple of years. We have fuel emission factors that are changing. Weather will be upward pressure on our plan as it gets hotter and colder in certain regions. Occupancy, ventilation requirements, all of these will impact um, over time our plans and provide either upward or downward pressure on our plan. And as you think about these variables, what's also obviously very important to understand is how your financial uh, analysis will, will change and need to be founded on this information. I just have a little example here of uh, analysis in one, port one regional portfolio within Cadillac Fairview. This is our Ontario portfolio in Canada. We have a, a relatively clean grid, I would say, in this location. And the reason why I share this with you is if you look at the current energy costs that hopefully you're capturing, uh, which is a big bulk of our emissions, you can see here that today, right now, the, the bulk of our costs are around electricity. As you move into looking at energy, still, currently today, still, the bulk of our, of our consumption is electricity. And this is why, you know, I'm an electrical engineer. This is why I love doing energy and looking at um, energy reductions, because you can often make a really good, strong ROI case to reduce your electricity, because the costs were there, and the consumption were there. As we change and start to really think about emissions, the business case has to change because, for example, in this portfolio, the bulk of our emissions are actually not electricity, steam and chilled water, or steam and natural gas, which now, um, because the costs are not necessarily there, the ROI drastically changes. This is something that we're going to have to understand as an industry and figure out how to uh, build strong business cases for. This pie looks different in different regions based off of your grid. So just very briefly, 
this data that we're collecting, again, is not about reporting. It's about driving a real impactful plan that will hopefully really support us achieving net zero. Here, I've just provided a few examples. Uh, it's really important, as I mentioned, to study your current footprint, to use that data to build decarbonization plans per asset and at a corporate level or portfolio level, and then to eventually, not immediately, evaluate how you may have an emission um, offsetting plan where you cannot achieve perfect zero. It's important to use this data then to plan and get ahead of regulation. We are being impacted by regulation, some of our portfolio, which is really driving us to move faster in this space, helps us pursue financial incentives because we know where we need to spend. And we're integrating this into our capital planning process. It's not something to the side, it's something that we understand where we need to uh, invest capital and, um, and, we're, and, we're, and we're making real decisions on how to do that. Then of course you, got, you have to execute. By using this data, you can understand which properties are maybe outliers, maybe they ramped up their natural gas because it got really cold and forgot to turn it off, as an example. It helps us understand uh, how we're executing capital. And of course, this data can really help from leadership, executive board, down to operators, understand uh, how to really drive change, what this, uh, how we're operating our buildings and where we can save money going forward. Thanks so Great. much. I know for some, this might be very obvious and some uh, really new. I'm just, I'm very hopeful that as a global community, we can come together to really drive you know, business value, community value, and really something that supports future generations. Thanks, Maureen. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Karen. That was just an excellent presentation. Um, so Anne and Karen, um, what we'll do now is we'll go off camera. So, and then I'm going to introduce our next speaker. And Anne, perfect. Um, I'm going to introduce uh, Johnny Holtz. So Johnny is a senior product manager of digital products, energy, and sustainability with Carrier. Johnny is a um, He's, he's based in the, uh, he's the product manager for energy and sustainability for Carrier Abound. And they're a digital platform and a suite of connected services that provides a single integrated view of data across building portfolios to enable intelligent building decisions. Johnny's responsible for creating Abound sustainability solutions that help real estate teams to meet their energy and carbon goals. So Johnny, welcome. And we're very much looking forward to this I know you're relatively new to the program, but not new to the topic. So I know that Carrier is very excited to have you on board, as are we. So looking forward to your comments. Yeah, no, thank you, Maureen, for the nice intro and hello to everyone. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Thanks to RealCom for giving me the opportunity to speak with everyone and Maureen for you being a fantastic host. Uh, as Maureen mentioned, I'm I'm, I work on the technology side, um, helping real estate teams to meet their sustainability objectives. Uh, so as I was thinking about this, you know, we have some fantastic panelists uh, that can speak from the owner operator perspective really well. So what I thought I would do is just spend a few minutes talking about um, kind of trying to still sound to like three topics that I think are important to consider when looking for solutions for your energy and carbon management needs. Uh, of course, this is a simplified version, but I think given where uh, probably a lot of people are in this audience, hopefully some of this content will be relevant. So um, first consideration is that I like to say energy management is a, is a team sport. Um, and what I mean by this is there's a lot of stakeholders that all need to be able to work together to really make an impact. Uh, for 
example, um, there are stakeholders that really need to be able to measure um, the you know, overall impact of a suite of buildings. You know, if, if you're an executive, you need to understand where you stand today. Um, then you have requirements around reporting. If you're an ESG manager, perhaps you're really concerned with compliance reporting and things like that. And then of course you have all of your teams on the ground who are operating your facilities and have a whole nother set of requirements and needs um, that are related, uh, but they need you know, real operational insights so they can actually take action, identify what they can do to meet the organization's goals. Um, so it's really important to sort of think about all these different, you know, who's, who's doing what in your organization uh, and making sure that you're thinking about a, a, an integrated solution. You have know, seen lots of solutions out there and it's customers who might have a fantastic reporting solution, beautiful, um, you know, has good reporting capabilities, but it doesn't really provide a lot of value maybe to the facilities management teams who actually need to take action on some of that. So that's one consideration. Um, Moving forward, let's see. Oh, I jumped ahead. Yeah, number two. Uh, you know, consider again, it's related. It's all about users. I think about who's using our technology and what they need. Um, you know, we're focused today on carbon reporting, uh, but a lot of our users are doing a lot of other things in buildings and have a lot of other priorities. So, for example, I speak with customers, um, they, they might approach us because they're interested in energy and carbon management, uh, but they have other needs, you know, that come up and these needs are valuable from a business perspective. And some might relate to what we're trying to do, some might not. It's important to understand um, where their synergies and it makes sense to include things in one solution where they might not be. For example, uh, you know, some customers are interested in uh, tenant billing solutions, um, indoor air quality, uh, we, you know, I've had discussions with people who want to monitor their electric charging stations. Uh, all these, all these different things can come into play, uh, and it's really important to kind of, you know, understand how how the data, underlying data, may or may not relate to each other, and and how the solutions may or may not leverage and benefit from being under one application or sometimes separate applications. Um, and you don't necessarily want to do everything in one application either. That can just make things too complicated and too messy and too expensive and then hurt the usability of that feature. But generally, you know, you don't, you got to find the balance. People don't want a lot of disparate systems either. That's a common problem that we run into. Uh, the last consideration, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping we get some questions about this in Q&A, so I'm kind of running through this quickly. Um, is that there really is no easy button um, for this stuff. And the reason I say that is, you know, as a solution provider, I want to say it's super easy. And there are parts of it that are, and we're always trying to make it easier. But the reality is buildings are messy. I mean, there's a ton of data in buildings. Um, you have data from your BMS systems, your building management systems that typically control your HVAC equipment. You have your lighting control panels. You have IEQ sensors and other IoT sensors. There's fire and security systems. Um, to make matters more complicated, there just hasn't been historically good standards governing how data is, um, uh, just data conventions, how data is shared, how it's labeled. Uh, so inevitably, 
you know, there's some things that are easier than others. It's, you know, building utility data, for instance, might not be as big a lift as some of these other things, but if you really want to get to the operational level in your solutions that are going to drive action, uh, it's going to take work. Um, it's going to take expertise and often you need to go into buildings and install stuff. Um, that's not uncommon to get the data out or to get the data you want. Uh, so the big takeaway here is, you know, as, as opposed to like logging onto Google and everything works, uh, you often need good partners in place to really help you create solutions that work, get the data in and normalize the data in a way that you can look at metrics across lots and lots of buildings in a way that makes sense and manage your buildings more efficiently ultimately. So it's an upfront investment so you can then manage your buildings much more efficiently. Um, and take advantage of kind of you know more centralized operations which is what a lot of our customers are hoping to do and so again those are the three kind of the, the three considerations i would you know want everyone to at least consider as they're thinking about solutions uh, welcome your questions during q a and uh, that's, that's what i have Johnny, thank you and your your remarks are really a perfect segue into our next speaker and our final speaker before we go to the panel so thank you and uh, it's my pleasure now to introduce Lisa Brylowski. And Lisa is the Vice President of ESG Management for Brookfield Real Estate. In this role, she is responsible for executing Brookfield's ESG and sustainability strategy across the firm's $263 billion real estate portfolio. In addition to being an ESG subject matter expert, Lisa has experience in investor relations, strategic client relations, portfolio management, and sourcing capital for co-investment opportunities. So Lisa, thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to hearing your comments. Thank you, Maureen. It's, it's great to be here in such uh, esteemed company. Um, so Brookfield is an owner operator of real assets. Our largest business segment is within real estate, um, and it's my responsibility to make sure all of our 130 portfolio companies are on top of their ESG programs. And a big part of our ESG strategy is executing on net zero. So Brookfield as a firm has committed to be net zero by 2050. Uh, we've signed the net zero asset managers initiative. And you know, 23rd, excuse me, 2050 is a long ways away. So we've set an interim target um, that uh, approximately one-third of our business will be 50% decarbonized by 2030. So it's, it's my job to help us get there. And I think the exciting part about working on net zero within real estate is that there's two sides of the same coin. Like one, there's mitigating risk, but two, uh, there's creating value. And for me, that's the exciting part, right? So sure, there's regulatory compliance, there's investor pressure, there's keeping up with the competition, but then there's also increasing asset value, there's charging higher rent, there's increased sales premium, and we've seen that at multiple assets within our portfolio. So um, what I'm here to contribute today, Maureen, and, and to the other panelists and to our audience is, is I'm, I'm the business person, but I'm also an operator and I'm a realist. So um, I've kind of uh, worked on a lot of different assets and different asset classes. I work globally, so I have a global perspective. and and on that, I, I think, I hope there are no skeptics in this audience, but if there are who are sort of on the fence about, you know, whether this net zero thing is going to go away or, 
We hear about the pending SEC decision on whether public companies will have to disclose their scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, hoping that won't come true. You know, it's, it's, it's real. It's going to happen. We've seen what's happening in Australia, in Europe, North America, Canada. I think we've been immune a little bit uh, to the winds of change. That's a, a climate change joke, but um, it's coming. So my uh, advice to all the corporates here are get on it. We use data, we analyze data to become information to drive decision-making, decision-making to mitigate risk and to create value. So I think that's how we all find ourselves here together, and I look forward to contributing to this discussion. Well, thanks, Lisa. I had actually a quick question for you, which is I was listening to your remarks, I'm, I'm wondering how you're seeing, particularly, I know that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Australia, the UK, Europe, there, there are different places if we look at the clock, you know, when people look at a clock, like what hour is it at as far as uh, programming? And it's kind of interesting when you look at the global clock of where different countries and groups and governments sit on that. Um, but how do you believe that we can be more effective or are you seeing it just educating constituencies on the health and energy uh, costs of continuing to use fossil fuels and the failure to manage waste more effectively? Because at the at the end of the day, um, there are health reasons why we need to do it. There are environmental reasons why we need to do it, but somehow that maybe that imperative of why is not landing as effectively as we'd hope. Yeah, so that's the thing, Reen. Like in Australia or in Europe, um, India, China, they're seeing the real-time day-to-day effects of climate change more acutely than we are here in North America. But uh, it seems like week after week, there's some sort of storm or mudslide or windstorm or some horrific weather-related event that is definitely tied to climate change. So what we're seeing are a number of uh, municipalities, cities standing up net-zero policies and commitments and, and having sort of local legislation. We look at New York's um, Local Law 97, right, that, that will put a cap on emissions from certain buildings. This is because cities have to deal with the cost of adverse climate-related events. And it's a two-way street here, right? Um, the environment affects real assets. So, uh, you know, floods, hailstorm damage, etc. These reduce asset value, but also we are emitters, right? So real assets, buildings contribute 40% of global emissions. So we're part of the solution and we're part of the problem. So we have to play on both sides. Um, and, and that's the big thrust. That's the why of climate change. It's a great answer. Thank you. Okay, with that, um, I'm going to ask all the panelists to join us for a conversation. And uh, so we've got everyone on, Johnny and Ann. Okay. Um, I'm going to start out, Karen, asking you a question. Um, I really like the way that all of the commentary kind of flowed so smoothly and supported um, really this broader context. And uh, Karen, based on your background, you've been working in the, um, the field of reporting for a long time. And we focus on the technical, financial, uh, the reporting aspects of climate action, and they're all important. But in your shoes, change management is a significant part of your role and the ability to progress along a net zero journey. Um, what got the process moving at, at CF? What, what did you do originally and what continues to drive progress? And what have been some challenges you'd wanna share? 
I have been working for a long time in this. Thanks for thanks for reminding me. Um, you know what? I, I, I'll be a historian for, for a moment and, and take us back in time. You know, Cadillac Fairview's head office is in Toronto, Ontario, and in about 2005, after decades of no construction in this market, the first time we started seeing major office towers going up, including Brookfield Building and Cadillac Fairview Building. And these new shiny buildings were aligning with this new certification called LEED, or everyone was still calling it LEEDS. We had no idea what it was, but the request to do it was coming from our key tenants, like the banks. And so, of course, we respond and build these new buildings, these latest standards, but we still have this large existing stock of, of a portfolio. And Cadillac Fairview, along with our competitors, started getting concerned that maybe this existing stock would not be as attractive to tenants as the new ones because they were able to meet these new standards around sustainability. That along with a theory that, hey, maybe you can save some operational costs, maybe if you reduce your energy, you could save money, was a real catalyst for companies like Cadillac Fairview uh, in North America to really start to look at this in, in a deeper dive. At the time, um, some people like me were hired into these companies and I was one of the first that came in to really establish what sustainability looked like for buildings in operations. And there, nobody had a clue. There, was no, there were no standards. They were like, you could collect energy. You could um, analyze that and do something about this. Um, so it was an exciting time, but there was a lot of pushback. I, I would continually get the feedback of, this is a trend, but more specifically, you're gonna use our capital and you're gonna use our people resources in a way that we just can't afford. And funny enough, I got a call from, from somebody, I won't, I won't bug them, but they called me on one of my first days and said, like, we've already done everything you can do. So respectfully go away. That building now is a zero carbon certified building, but that's what they felt at the time. Okay, fast forward a, a long time later, and um, not, not to date myself, but a long time later, and we've saved millions through our sustainability program. We're number one in our uh, benchmark called RESP in our peer group. We get all these awards and certifications, but we also save millions. And that, and that goes really far. And so no longer is the, the nobody's questioning in the same way. We were asking about today, how do we, how do we deal with this? Um, I can say that I'm no longer begging for people to pay attention or say, I swear there's a business value in this. We can save you money and mitigate risk, all these things. The challenge that we're experiencing today is more around prioritization. There's a lot of, uh, competing priorities in our industry, right? From affordability to people management to we could keep going on. It's, you know, there's, it's a challenging time. And people are, are wondering how to prioritize this amongst other aspects, as well as the space is really evolving quickly. It wasn't before. And so when you can't keep up with the latest information, you almost want to shelter yourself from it. And so, you know, what I say to myself, what I say to my team is, don't go into a meeting ever thinking that people are aligned with your value proposition. The case for change, has to be made very clear and what's in it for them in terms of financial incentive, reputational incentive, et cetera, has to always be made clear no matter what level of the organization or the kind of stakeholder that you're engaging with. It, well, that's a great, that, it, you know, when I think about um, the context of change, but then also never, never assume because you're somewhere on your journey means the other stakeholders are where you are at that journey. Lisa, what's your experience with this? What advice would you offer because you've driven an amazing program at, for a very large global portfolio? And I imagine you have similar experiences to Karen. What are your kind of best, best bits of advice you can give the audience? 
Yeah, well, um, Maureen, I think the best case scenario for a corporation is that a strong commitment to ESG, sustainability, and net zero starts at the top, right? That leadership has bought into the idea that net zero is real, it's happening, we need to prepare our business for this, that we will derive value from being a leader in this space. That's the best case scenario, but I'm a realist. I know that this isn't so at every corp. So if, if it's not so where you are, if you're an ESG or a sustainability subject matter expert, it's up to you to prove out the value proposition, right? That your investment in sustainability will create for your company. So with ESG and sustainability net zero, it's really easy to identify the cost, but not the value creation, right? So we know what a heat pump costs, right? Or we know what a consultancy engagement or a piece of software will cost. But what is the value that it will create or the risk that you will avoid by undertaking this? That's, that's less clear to us, right? Um, but, uh, you know, keep at it. So have good case studies, set a good baseline of information. And I think the worst thing that could happen for an executive who is sort of skeptical about climate change or the importance of net zero is to be in a big meeting with an important stakeholder, so a major tenant or a potential investor. And, and they say, hey, and this happens all the time, but our folks are prepared for it, luckily. Um, well, it's not luck, it's preparation. Um, they, uh, you know, the question will be like, hey, wh what are you guys doing on climate change? Or, uh, you know, where, where do you stand with net zero? And you don't want that deer in the headlights moment, right? So you want at least talking points. You want to demonstrate a past progress. You don't have to have yet, I think, um, you know, everything all electric or every building we own is net zero, but you have to have your talking points. And you have to demonstrate, one, an awareness, to uh, commitment and three, some steps to progress. Um, so really it's, it's protecting your reputation that you should be on top of climate change awareness. So from your comments, Karen, you know, it's brand, it's reputational risk. It's also like you're saying the value, those conversations with your tenants, you know, and the thing is it's a far more symbiotic relationship today than it's been in the past. And that intrinsic value regardless of whether it's brand, which, what stakeholders looking at it, your investors, if you're raising money, you're investing, uh, there's a true business benefit. And then also, as you said, um, and there's also an environmental and a human benefit to this as well. And um, can you explain I, your software that, uh, you know, just the uh, the intro video that we saw, um, it's, it's really robust uh, as we're talking on the subject. And could you just explain your approach to data collection and reporting and how, do, how you get started moving through the portfolio and performance reporting? Uh, sure. Um, so what we have noticed is that is a, is a need for high quality build, building data that is holistic. Um, so it, it, it was easier to collect data on a certain functions like energy consumption, but we, we, thought we, we realized that there was a, actually a gap in collecting holistic uh, data and understanding your entire building CO2 footprint and especially the, the CO2 footprint from scope one. So what we decide is, is to, to find a solution to collect real-time data on building levels that are focused on the data points from the reporting frameworks or for the, from the data points that are having a direct impact on the building functions or the, or the owner's uh, KPIs. So as such we collect data from the uh, building, uh, so like the hardware specification, is it efficient enough, is it star rated or not? Uh, we are collecting data from BMS or BIS systems. 
uh, we are collecting data from uh, the building digital levers, so that means smart meters or sensors. Uh, some buildings may not have smart meters, so then we came with a solution to retrofit those uh, meters so, so we can take and collect data in real time. Um, we are also integrating with company databases, um, IoT uh, platforms, urban municipality data if it's available, uh, telecommunication companies, waste collection data of the, the companies that are collecting the waste and to try and automate the, the waste collection and the waste management, uh, weather station data or ESG data from, from companies. Um, so so we, we try to create this, uh, you know, data, you know, framework and, and this data uh, map is, is different from a client to a client, but these are mostly the, 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 the most important uh, uh, data buckets, if I, if, I can, if I can call them like that. So just to summarize is like BMS, BIS, sensors and um, IoT, uh, municipality data, uh, waste collection data, uh, weather station and utility companies. So these are some of the, the main, uh, main areas from where we connect the, we collect the data from. Um, in terms of reporting, uh, we are referring to the, the known reporting frameworks that are globally accepted. Um, and just to mention a few of them would be uh, GRI standards and specifically G4 construction and real estate standard, SASP uh, standards, IFC uh, standards, ICGN, uh, CDP, TCFD, uh, IFC. Uh, so these are some of the, the most known uh, uh, global uh, frameworks. Um, and there are many other, there are many tools for reporting. Um, so there, you know, uh, our platform, you know, collects the data, but there are many other uh, tools out there that can collect the, the data. So some of them would be Sustainalytics or NOSA data, data and so on. Um, uh, and our, our, our intention is to collect uh, this holistic data that is flexible and it's suitable for automatic uh, submission to accreditation bodies such as Energy Star or LEED or BRIAM or GRESBY, uh, depending where what accreditation bodies uh, are relevant for each of our clients. Okay. Well, that, you know, thank you. That is a, a really just a fantastic snapshot of the complexity of where this data comes from. And, um, you know, Johnny, I want to ask you a question. I had a question um, that I do want to ask you. But before I do that, we had a question um, from one of the listeners, and I, I thought perhaps you may be interested in tackling this because there, were, there was the question was um, from Amadou Guy. He said, is there any ESG Excel or form model or tool standard to be filled in, you know, by the building manager to report carbon emissions and you know with carrier and with what you're doing with the bound and you've got great operational experience um, where would you start with something like that before you get to some of these really kind of much more advanced dynamic technologies like ANS or the abound technology you know if you're just getting started um, just looking at the form what what sort of model would you suggest um, let me think about that so uh, you can certainly do for a small portfolio like one two three buildings you can certainly do this in, in a spreadsheet um you know you can you need to get your data right you need to understand you can go get your billing data you know enter that in the spreadsheet you can use depending on what region you're in you need to know your um conversion factors your mission conversion factors in the united states that's the united states egrid conversion factors so, so you can you can go through this process you can build yourself a spreadsheet um there are other 
free tools out there, such as I mean, Energy Star Portfolio Manager, I think in the United States is now including um, carbon conversion metrics. I, I don't know if anyone else on this panel um, can, can back that up or not. So there might be some other tools out there, but as soon as you get to scale, um, you're probably gonna need a, a more robust platform because it's not just, you know, you need something that's automated, you need to validate the data, and then you need to do other things with that data that you're not gonna be able to do in the spreadsheet and then share it. Um, and so I, I would suggest like if you have two or three buildings, that probably makes sense. As soon as you get to a larger portfolio, uh, you probably wanna look for a more robust solution. Well, I think that's a great answer. There's another comment here from Daniel Schreiner that I think is going to resonate with everybody on this panel. And what he's saying is, is net zero strategy really the goal? So while it could be maybe in the end, at some point, an end game, he said, shouldn't it work more in the sense that we try to improve existing buildings as much as possible and not forget the return on investment? And I know, Karen, you addressed this. Um, Lisa, you addressed this. And it has it also has to do a lot with change management but isn't net zero too ambitious a goal because most existing buildings cannot be improved in net zero um, at all or only at a very high cost. So of course net zero is possible if you include certificate trading. Um, and we're gonna talk about that later. Um, however, I think Johnny, when I, I think your comment, you, you start, you look at your portfolio, Karen, to your point on prioritization, what I would ask you is, you know, you are very focused on the operating ecosystem for gathering data and then the innovation. So to some of the points he's making about what more can be done when you're looking at something, whether you do your Energy Star, what other initiatives? Because keep in mind, you've got your E, you've got your S and your G, and you just let the asset be what it can ultimately be. Um, can you describe what you're seeing right now and what you're working on at Carrier Abound uh, to bring this to the different assets regardless of where they sit right now on that scale? Yeah, so the, the challenge that our industry faces is that to get the data to provide the insights that we all need to really understand where we can um, invest to reduce energy use in our buildings, where we're inefficient, um, what systems we might wanna replace. It resides in a lot of different systems. Um, a lot of legacy systems. So what we're constantly trying to do on the technology side is, you know, we're investing in how do we automate the data collection and normalization. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, it's not uncommon for the data to be locked up in buildings, right? So that might mean that we have teams of people that are going out to hundreds or sometimes thousands of buildings to do, you know, some retrofit so we can actually start gathering this data in a centralized way. Uh, there are some really nice things happening in the industry, like we're finally standardizing around data conventions like BRIC, and we're fully supportive of that, and that's what we do. Um, and then, you know, I, I just think that the whole data questions, you know, it's, it's the thorn that we all have, right? And I think from a carrier perspective and from industry perspective, we're always looking to avoid data duplication. So, you know, I'll, we'll look to see wh where do our customers already have data? Um, we have customers that use utility billing service providers that might already be aggregating data. So we'll integrate with those, or they use Energy Star Portfolio Manager, we'll integrate with that. Um, I know that doesn't speak directly to the question, previous question about, you know, how much does it make sense to invest? You know, do you want to get to net zero or not? But I do think when it comes to getting the data, that's the first part. And then there's a lot, once you have that data, 
um, I think people, uh, someone mentioned it earlier, um, I think it was Karen Elise, I'm not sure, but they thought they could only go this far, you know, and then they eventually got this building to, you know, net zero, because I think people underestimate the amount of energy they're wasting in a building. Um, so I would, I would just say that, you know, expectations are usually pretty low, um, but there's a, buildings just aren't operating as efficiently as they could be, almost always. Right. That is, <laughs> that sets up, so we got a question from um, one of the uh, audience members, and Karen, I think you're gonna, it it, it backs up exactly what um, Johnny's talking about. She's, uh, this is from Catherine Canapelli, and this is directed to Lisa and Karen. And the question is, as experts in these sustainability projects, can you discuss the challenges you face with recovering the operating costs from tenants when implementing sustainability projects, particularly in light of the, um, the recent increase in interest rates? And how have you addressed it and how you addressing the challenges? So I think a lot of this goes back to, you can bill a tenant, but unless you've got that proof and you've got that backup and you can show, you know, the whole, when they're auditing to say, how much this costs, what was my return, or is it regulated, you're transparent and, you know, the, you know, the tenant conversation goes more smoothly. What are you doing in your organizations regarding your OPEX and CAM and recovery of charges and, and how are you collecting that data? Marina, I hate to do this. Can I just make a, a, a comment about the last question? Mm-hmm. That comment about is net zero really achievable is it's an excellent question to be asking and I, and I think sorry I'm going to hijack just back going back a little bit but you know it, it is an excellent question to be asking and as somebody who's going through major assets and looking at the cost to decarbonize some of it is overwhelming that's the reality mm -hmm. and I think what's clear is as building owners we cannot do this alone a lot of our emissions is coming from the grid is coming from steam providers natural gas etc in our space, if we really want to push forward and get beyond a certain level of uh, emissions that's affordable, that actually reaches into this next question that you're asking, right. we have to partner really effectively with government, but also with a lot of uh, these utility companies, et cetera, and, and put pressure on them and, and partner. And we have some examples where we're partnering with some of our providers to help them figure out what their decarbonization uh, path looks like, because only then can we make not only more affordable decisions, but smart decisions? Could you imagine that we completely pulled, you know, went completely electrified and then tomorrow the some of these other utility, uh, these other um, commodity types figure it out? That would be, you know, a, a, a waste of time. Money, so it, it has to be, it's not us alone. It has to be a, a, a larger conversation interaction. So I just wanted to, well, just wanted to say that. Well, culturally, just to, Culturally, I think that is when, when Lisa talks about what is going on in Australia, what is going on in Europe, that connection between the, whether it's government, between the tenants, between the employees in the, in the buildings and the people who are going to work, it's tighter, it's clearer, there's more understanding there and there's more kind of purpose and alignment, but that's just because many of them are further along the journey. So this is, this is developing and taking track, you know, traction here. I think the further you can create that education and communication from your own buildings. And so that goes back to, so if you are doing that, is your story clearer to those tenants when they are getting their bill? And some of them I would imagine are very excited about the initiatives you're driving and others might be challenging, why do I have to pay for this? So I don't know if one of you guys wanna take that, just what are you doing just regarding your operating escalation buildings? Are you seeing any pushback or having any issues and how did you overcome them? I'll, I'll, I'll take that, Maureen. Um, so okay. I think where net zero is easiest to do is if you own 
class A, irreplaceable, best-in-class assets. Uh, where is it tough? It's tough to do in hospitality. It's tough to do in retail. Logistics, maybe, yes or no, but the tenants have a big piece there. But if you own some of the best assets in a particular city, you should grab onto this because you will see those ROIs. You will see the tenants get on board with you. Uh, we did analysis of our global office portfolio. Um, 25 out of 25 of our largest global office tenants have a net zero commitment. So they want to do this. Uh, we did analysis of how much do their recoverable charges increase by bringing in renewable energy to take, uh, this is just our New York portfolio, to completely net zero. It's a 1% increase. They don't even see that. Like there's nothing to them. And they can have the benefit of being in a net zero building. So it's not that expensive. And, and would you do it on an asset where it doesn't make sense commercially, bringing it to net zero or, you know, going hard on improvements that, that just get you to zero on paper, but don't bring that, that commercial value? No, absolutely not. That'd be foolish. Like we're owners first, right? And we have fiduciary duty to do the right thing, right? And, and that's not just the right thing environmentally. That's the right thing economically. But the wrong thing, fiduciary-wise, would be to try to dismiss this whole exercise as impossible or too challenging. Um, and, and maybe to make the connection to data here and, and to how you get to net zero or, or as close as you can. When I think of ESG, sustainability, GHG data, there's three buckets for real estate. Okay, there's the getting it bucket. There's the putting it somewhere bucket, like a system or you know a mainframe. And then there's the doing something with it, setting a net zero plan. For real estate, in my experience as an operator, we've been going hard on our data for three years. It's the getting it part that is the hardest part. Why? Because it involves people. Uh, you don't know all your emission sources unless you do a survey, unless you figure out where the bills go, unless you figure out a system for getting the data into a system, right? So it, it's a... It, you, you don't start with just signing up for software as a service. It has to be led by a commitment. You have to understand what you can collect, where it comes from, and then you put it somewhere and then you do something with it. So it's a journey. Yes. And we've got another question that I think for Johnny and Ann, um, this is regarding doing the modeling, energy modeling. And there's a question that says that, um, is there a benchmark per kilowatt hour or um, per square foot for office buildings? Or do you have a reference source? Like, uh, how do you, what do you, what does good look like? How are you looking at benchmarking even when you're starting, right? You're setting up, you're going into your client's property. How, how do you look at it from a benchmark perspective? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll start um, and definitely chime in. But uh, it's a great question because you know, once you get the data, then the question is like, how am I doing? Are my buildings performing well? Are they not performing well, right? That's like the obvious question to start with. Uh, one way to do that is you benchmark, that's where everyone starts. And you might benchmark internally, if you have a class of buildings that are regionally in the same area, um, climate-wise, or you can do some climate normalization. That's a good place to start, right? Because um, you know your buildings better than some benchmark. Uh, but then there's external benchmarks, and there's a lot of them out there, um, and they're useful. So Energy Star has is a good one, and, and there's other ones outside of the United States. I know that's US-centric. Um, ASHRAE and other bodies like that have benchmarks. And typically, there's something around, you know, most benchmarks are looking at what's called EUI, so energy use intensity. So it's a nice way of comparing buildings. 
based on how much energy they use per square foot. Um, so there'll be various buildings for various asset classes and types. It can get complicated because you have mixed use buildings, right? And that'll throw things. You might have a retail space, a data center, something like that. So it can get tricky. Um, but if you're looking across a thousand building portfolio, it's a really good place to start. And then you can start diving into why is this building performing better or worse than other buildings? Um, and then I think it was um, Karen who brought the great example of, well, there's energy use and then there's carbon intensity. Two different things, right? They're related, but you need to make sure you're looking at that too. So if your goal is to reduce energy, um, you know, you're looking at EUI, but you also want to make sure you're looking at carbon if your goals are to reduce carbon because they might not be totally aligned. So I'll stop there and I'm sure Anne or someone else. I think, yeah. Well, and that goes back to the scope one, scope two, scope three, like really understanding what those mean and then understanding where those emissions are coming from. And and I guess um, from your perspective when you're setting up, you know, you talked about the framework, you talked about the software. What what would you add to that the question around the benchmark? Um, I think this was really a great question because uh, what I find is that it's really uh, difficult to have um, a good database benchmarking where you actually have data about all the assets. Um, so as as Karen said, is um, you can do it on a portfolio level or based on your your database of your assets and you compare with the different clients that have different um, that that have similar um, real estate. Um, uh, properties, uh, but then you can also do it externally. So we are also collaborating with Energy Star, but Energy Star is more, mostly relevant for US. So then it, it makes it a bit more difficult in Europe. Um, in Europe, we uh, work with companies like Gresby for uh, benchmarking, but we also have other partners, um, you know, that have uh, these databases of uh, data, whether it's on energy level or waste level or water level. So we integrate with, with as many uh, platforms as possible. Uh, so we have aggregated these data sources. Um, and, and then when it, when it comes to, to, to benchmarking, uh, we are also look, using these um, you know, frameworks uh, that are coming from SAS or GRI um, and, and other frameworks that we have mentioned previously. Uh, there, there isn't one database that contains all the, all the buildings in one country, but we do have a, 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 pre, a pretty decent uh, data about, you know, some of the, the best performing assets, you know, in, in different cities or, or uh, countries. Um, and, and I think this is something that it's going to be built in the next years. And uh, as, as, we, as more um, asset owners will start, you know, digitizing their assets, we will have more access uh, to, to their data. Um, a good source are also the utility companies that um, have um, consumption data from from all the buildings, but that data is it's harder to to access. But then there are platforms that are collecting uh, data from utility companies in, in different countries. Um, and uh, it, yes, I, I think most of the points have already been covered. Um, and I think this is a really really it's really challenging to to get a, a good database. Um, of, to understand, you know, what are, what are the best, um, you know, practices uh, by asset class. Okay, thank so you. I okay, go ahead. Did you have one more thing you want to say? Okay, um, Karen. So, in hearing Anne's comments and Johnny's comments, um, I guess the question is: Did you develop in-house carbon accounting methods, data collection, and reporting tools? Did you do that yourselves, or? Did you evaluate third-party products? Are you considering changing your current approach? 
as you progress into a far more uh, large and significant program, what, how did you do it? And how, what, what, in looking at how you did it, now that you've learned and you're where you are in your journey, what would you have done differently now and also given the advancements that have been made in the, in the industry? Yes, we did all of that <laughs> in one way or another, honestly. So, um, you know, just, just a little bit of context. Cadillac Fairview is a privately held company and we also manage a, a significant portfolio in-house. Uh, for us, it's important to have really granular information as well as corporate. Different companies are going to have different needs with, with what they need and how they use that information. Originally, um, you know, we started carbon reporting maybe 10 years ago. Uh, so I have a lot of legacy here. But originally, we had a lot of very granular information around ut utilities, you know, energy, water, waste, um, operational information. And what we would do is we would bundle that information up into emissions like on the side with a consultant through through spe spreadsheets. It was separate. It was, people weren't asking for it the same way. We would just put into a report. As it became clear that it's going to be part of our operational strategy, we did RFP maybe five years ago, um, a better system that was supposed to holistically do everything. So I've seen a lot of different softwares. Um, and and I'm, I'm not talking, I'm, and I'm specifically talking about just the, the carbon uh, accounting part of this. There's gaps with, it, with everything, depending on what you need. Um, and especially as our, our needs really grow, we see that some don't really report effectively on scope three the way we need. We, we also need to take our information and like slice and dice it for all the different tenants that are asking us for different information, the different co-owners, et cetera. It's hard to do that easily. Or, or just to be put into an information that's good for certain uh, regulatory requirements. So we're seeing, uh, you know, first of all, that nothing does everything for everybody. And uh, there's always going to be something that you doesn't work. So you need to really prioritize what you, what you need. If I, if I was to start today, and, and we, you know, we, we have a great software. It's very robust. And I think why we're happy with it is we have a good relationship with our vendor. Here's that needs to evolve. It needs to change. If, if I was to start today, I'd be very clear on what my top priorities are. And I wouldn't be thinking about what I need right now. Because I can tell you, it was very stagnant for a long time what you needed for carbon. All of a sudden, that's, that's changing. So I would really um, be thoughtful about what I think we're going to need in the future before I would sign up on something brand new to it. I'm stuck with it for a while. I'm not going to keep on switching. Um, so that's it's, it's, it's been a real journey, for sure. That is actually a really uh, interesting insight because, frankly, I think a lot of people want to solve for the, the immediate pain, right? They've got these pain points. Someone's asked me for this. This can get that done. But very often, if it solves for this, but the broader vision or the commitment or just the, you know, the, the whole business uh, model around that software isn't going to fit your longer term model, that's something that you should be asking rather than just the current. So that's that's excellent. And Lisa, you know, you're working globally. Um, what have you found a bigger challenge, uh, gathering this accurate data or driving more consistency across the properties uh, to change their operations? Like you talked about, there's lots of things you can continue to do. Um, so is it tougher to drive the consistency in operations and measuring and comparing the data and results, or is it harder just to do some of that basic blocking and tackling that Anne and Johnny were describing? Uh, really, it's the latter, Marine. It's, it's getting the data. Um, I think what companies need to realize is that software and programs are there as a tool, so you need to drive your own program. 
you need an internal person who knows this stuff through and through. Um, otherwise, you know, you get on something and, and a couple years later, you look at your data, you think it's all good. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? There's so many gaps. I don't have what I need. I wish I had been more thoughtful about this earlier. So it's not like sign up to something and it's not autopilot. You need a lot of expertise behind your program. Expertise internally plus expertise from the vendor that you're using because it's that first part, that getting it part that is so hard. And, you know, for us, because we manage a global portfolio, like we have 7,000 properties, okay? So 7,000 properties times they have an average of 40 emission sources at each property. Uh, and we're making acquisitions all the time. We do about 10 deals a week. These are like 200 asset portfolios. Like the size and the scale of our operation is just mind-blowing. So you have to have systems. It can't be like a one-off each time. You have to have a plan at the top, good strategic um, initiatives within your company. You have to have a good handle on your data. But then, okay, what do you do with the data? At the same time, you have to be running operational projects, right, that are, with time are going to show decreases in your GHGs and, and that ROI bump. So um, it's kind of a bit of everything um, at the same time. But I think having a good data process management strategy, maybe like a document, kind of the rules of the road uh, help. And, and after three years of kind of working on it in different ways, ESG data that this is, is my, my group, my company has come up with, you know, it's like 18 pages of end to end. We acquire a company versus the last step is report out to either Gres or internally or whatever. It's all the steps in between. We tallied them up. There's like 400 steps. And, and you need to think about this. And, and this only comes with time and experience. Um, but my advice to companies is like, don't wait. It, it, it's, it's hard. It's, well, it's not easy. It's not hard. It's just project management. So get, get some good consultancy. Um, don't put your, all your eggs in one basket. That's another uh, kind of lesson learned. Um, know what you want and then find vendors and consultants and companies to help you. Yeah, you don't want a, a million people who know all the same stuff and are like-minded. It really is bringing in the diversity of thought and experience because uh, that, I think, you know, moves you faster. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question. I've got we've got one that I do want to ask um, in a minute that came from uh, the audience. But um, several years ago, there would have been a lot of discussion around carbon offsets, and uh, that's changed. Uh, so. Are, Lisa, are you using carbon offsets, Karen, and, and when and how? And how would you recommend implementing um, the reporting, you know, on that and kind of where it comes in? So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because it has only one of the audience members brought it up, but uh, your, your feelings on that? Yeah, so offsets are viewed under GHG protocol as a legitimate component of getting to net zero. Uh, protocol allows you to use them for plus minus 5% of your overall reduction. What we're doing at Brookfield, and we view this as the most legitimate method to get to net zero, is one, we're looking at making asset level energy reduction. So, you know, here's like swapping out LED, swapping out traditional for LED bulbs and HVAC systems and all that stuff. We figure that can get us 20% of the reductions we need. The biggest piece is going to be bringing in renewable energy. So we haven't talked about that much, but that's where you're going to get the biggest ride. And, you know, we're on in Toronto. I'm, I'm here in Toronto. This is one of the cleanest grids in North America. So we're going to have to do more asset level improvements because the grid's already pretty clean. So knowing what you have, where you have it, and your grid mix, 
um, is super important. And then the last piece, to net out to zero, we'll, we'll buy a tiny bit of credits for those few remaining GHGs that we can't abate at the property level. Um, but that's how we look at it. They, they don't solve all your problems. Um, sure, you can like look like your net zero on paper, but uh, it's cheating a little bit. That's my view. I'm just gonna say briefly, this, the, the exact same thing as Lisa. Like in, in, in my view, and I think in many um, people's view, invest in improving your building. Invest in making it the, the, the best you can. The, the car, if it's pure carbon credits, that should be at the very end of your process when you're when you're just strapped for anything else. And we should be years away from from that. Um, and so our view is let's invest your time or energy in utility reductions, carbon reductions, etc. And but you know I, I do warn warn people that the scrutiny, although it's legitimate, and I could I could go on to for a long time why it's actually really valuable that we have a carbon offset uh, market and invest in that. But the scrutiny around it. Is quite incredible. I had somebody say to me the other day, "Well, Kim, Kim Kardashian can't offset her her jet. Why could you? Why are you able to do that?" And I was like, "Oh my God, nobody's ever said that to me before. Um, people would just be happy that they could say that their building is, you know, a certain emission level." So the scrutiny is getting uh, is increasing. There's and um, I just have to say too that that, that off, um, carbon credits are not the only way to avoid emissions. There's power purchase agreements. There's a lot of other credible opportunities, but again, it should be down the road when you figure out how to reduce your utilities, reduce costs, really make a long-term um, investment in your building that has long-term value. Okay, so here comes this follow-on question. This comes from Sammy Obidat, and uh, the question is, and it's for all panelists, have you ever implemented a sustainability measure or project where an energy auditor had projected a specific amount of GHG reductions, um, but the actual uh, reductions fell short of the projections. And if that happened to you, what steps would you take to address the issue, especially if your budget was based on projective savings and outcomes? So you've spent your budget, you didn't hit your GHG reduction level, what other steps uh, did you take, uh, would you recommend? And, um, you know, I don't know, Anne, it, it looks like you've, from the way you reacted to the question, it looks like you've got experience here. So uh, do you want to comment? Um, I can mostly comment from a, a technical perspective that we did have some, uh, some of our clients, they did have these targets and some of them were a bit more aggressive than others. So one of them was like to reduce their um, um, CO2 coming from the energy consumption by 40%. Um, so what we have done is to, to create this um, insights um, um, program uh, that basically keeps track of their consumption data every day and month. So when the consumption doesn't fall into the range that we predict, then we we give them uh, we, we we send them an alert and say, hey, your energy consumption doesn't meet your target for today or for next month, so they can take actions in time. Um, this is what we can do from a platform perspective, but the the final decision will, will obviously sit with the asset manager. So we can we can give recommendations like you know what they can do to improve the energy consumption and where that spike comes from if it doesn't fall within the range uh, that we have estimated based on historical data. Okay, great, Johnny. What are your thoughts on that? I think with your background, you've probably seen that quite a bit. Um, I you know I'd, I'd actually defer to Karen and Lisa on this one as okay. the owners who are dealing with the capital. I can talk to it in my previous life. I we're tend to man management programs where we did a lot of energy right, modeling. Exactly, that's what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I think from 
from my perspective, I can just, my, my 30 second spiel here is that the models are good, uh, but they're not perfect, right? There's so many operational nuanced things within buildings that you're never gonna model things perfectly. So you have to, if you're, if you're basing your budget on those models being 100% accurate, you're probably gonna get yourself in trouble. Um, would be my only my only response there, um, but they should be they should reflect pretty directionally and be relatively close. Anyways, I'll turn that over to Lisa and Karen for owner um, operator perspective. Usually, people put in these energy solutions and they just are like, oh, it should work. They don't even manage it and and measure and verify it going forward. So that that's good. I, I know why this person is. It's because it's tied to their budget. So that causes obviously a lot more pressure. I mean, we've had examples where we have this brilliant idea, we think it's going to solve a lot of things, and then there's major pushback um, that it's not working. And in some cases, it's, it's the change management. It's, the, it's how we're using the solution, not the solution itself, or it's like there's, there's it, you know, I think what needs to happen is to really diagnose what the source of the issue is, because I have all kinds of different examples from people management to how it's installed to how it's managed that really impact how it's optimized and used. Once you know what the source of the issue is, then it's much easier to come up with an action plan, whether that's pushing back on your vendor, educating your staff to be more effective, maybe motivating them and engaging them to want to get the most optimal results. There's a, there's a long list from there. But it starts with really understanding, not hypothetically or through chit chat, what people think could be the problem, especially if they're not on side with it, but, but understand the core of the issue. Okay, great. And also, a very conservative, um, conservative uh, thoughts around how much you're going to consume if you're going to put into your budget. I think it's, it's <laughs> that, that's good. And I think the idea about having a range, I've got one last question um, because we're almost out of time and I, I would love to hear your final comments or advice, words of wisdom. Um, you saw our attendees, uh, they're spread across different places on the journey towards this. Um, and what would be the best advice that you would offer uh, to someone Either get started or journey, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and why don't we start with you and we'll just go around. Uh, sure. Um, so collecting holistic data is important. Understand your data to avoid transitional costs and negative impacts um, on your portfolios. Um, Real-time data, uh, good, accurate, uh, can, can give you good, accurate predictions and also reduce your risk and potential costs. Um, high CO2 emissions will decrease the value of your assets. Uh, mitigating CO2 emissions from the environment are important to tackle the climate change that also real estate assets, so transitional and physical risks. Um, um, there is a very complex um, uh, ecosystem for ESG um, that, that looks at global governance principles, global reporting frameworks, and rating agencies. Uh, there are many tools uh, to report to and to collect your data. It's, it's important to understand what tools uh, work best for you and, and understand the entire um, ecosystem. And uh, have an eye on uh, embodied carbon because the regulations are increasing on that. So I think that should be would probably be one of the next wave in um, carbon accounting. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Johnny? Sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's been said, but I would say make sure you think through, think beyond, if you're just starting and you just need to measure and document where you are, yeah, that's a good place to start, but you gotta, gotta think beyond that, right? So I, you know, I think someone had a framework that was mentioned earlier about study, plan, and execute. You know, we call it 
you know, there's, you, it could be measure, um, plan, take action, whatever it is, you need to get to the point where you're not just measuring, you're taking action, there's a feedback loop. You need to think about who's using this data. What do they need? What are the questions they need to answer? How do they need to interact with each other and collaborate? Um, so just, you know, think, think about what it's really going to take to make your program spin and operate before you invest in anything. And then look for a good partner or partners, because like I think you've heard from everyone, this isn't easy, right? Um, it, 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 it's totally doable, we all do it, but you need people who know what they're doing to help you. Um, you need the resources in place to make this work at scale. Yep, and even experts hire experts. Um, Karen, your comments? Ditto, ditto to everything. But I think if I have to say one thing, it's, it's understand your value proposition, understand your case for change, and repeat it to all your stakeholders. Make sure you understand why, why you're trying to accomplish this and what you're trying to accomplish. Don't boil the ocean. Just really be clear on, on where there's a value proposition for your assets and for your company. That'll take you really far. Perfect. And Lisa, wrapping up the closing uh, I'll, keep the, I'll keep it short and sweet. Climate leadership starts at the top. Gains are made at the bottom. And we're all in the uh, mushy middle together, uh, but it's a collective effort. Start now. Great, thank you. Thank you so much. It was actually a lot of fun and uh, really educational speaking with all of you. So thank you. And Chuck? You Incredible. See, I knew you were gonna run out of time. And oh my gosh, the uh, live audience was bombarding with questions. So you can see this topic is very uh, con uh, controversial, current, passionate, all of the things that, that you guys brought out in the discussion was great. So thank you to all the panelists. You did a great job, ton of information to process. I hope people took me up on taking notes or you're gonna have to watch this again, or maybe we'll write an article and maybe that's what I'll have to do. So uh, whether you've joined this uh, live or, or you're watching this as a recording, you should have been live. I'm telling you, you could have asked a question. Thank you again for tuning in and, and be sure to register for our next webinar in this series, the Net Zero Carbon Detection Collection Reporting Series it's ESG and carbon accounting studies and it's case study. So you're gonna see the how part. Uh, that's gonna be completely awesome. Uh, and then we'll start the new series, April the 13th. And the next it's uh, automating everything to combat the downturn. That's driving measurable business, business value. Another tremendous discussion, very timely. So also make plans to attend RealCom. That's where you're gonna get a ton of great information with these actual people, they'll probably be there. I think most will. Uh, many are advisors or um, are, are gonna be on panels. So if you wanna uh, get more information, please plan to, to attend, don't wait for that. Uh, we had just so many questions come in that we couldn't uh, get to them all. I have recorded all of them. So I'll send those out to the panel right after this session and we'll match that up with the person who who asked it as far as their contact information and you can get back to them if you like. So thanks again. That's it. Great panel discussion. Maureen, great job moderating as always. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our sponsors. So uh, we'll just uh, call it that. Uh, that's it for us. Be safe and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.